independent media is more important than ever. We don't have a corporate network behind us, and we also don't have big green foundation grants. So we really do need you, and we are actively calling in your direct support so that we can continue exploring many of these topics and perspectives, often sidelined by mainstream media. If you're enjoying our show, please make sure you're subscribed and join us on Patreon today, starting at a tip of just $3 at patreon.com slash green dreamer. Every little bit helps and really adds up. And that is the power in community. So thank you so much for however you're able to support our work. Well, shoot, let's just get someone like Gwyneth Paltrow to cover herself in mud and walk around naked, you know what I'm saying, like to talk about soil. Because in the world of entertainment, you really need to think outside of the box like that because you need to get people's attention. This is from an eco-pioneer, thought leader, entrepreneur, and activist you definitely want to hear from. There is so much juice in this episode. She talks about what climate denial really, really is about underneath it all. She talks about sperm health. She talks about how we're living through a time that's going down in the history books because of what social media has done for our world and so much more. Honestly, it fired me up and I hope it does the same for you. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Other than being a super smart, funny, and bold human being, our guest today, Leah Sagadi, is the founder of ShiftCon Social Media Conference for Eco-Wellness Influencers, the founder of Momovation, a leading community for mom bloggers focused on green living and wellness, and also the author of a recently published book on sustainable living, Green Enough. Oh, and no big deal, but she's also been named Mother of the Year by Shape Magazine. How cool is that? She is definitely a powerful force to be reckoned with, and I can't wait for you to hear her thought-provoking insights and ideas. So without further ado, Green Dreamer, here's Leah Segedi, kicking the conversation off with her journey into sustainability. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of a story, but if I can take you back about five, six years ago, um, I was already in the space for, I, I want to say five, six years at that point. I had a blogger network with over 8,500 women, social media influencers, and I just had my third baby. And, you know, when you have a child and you're breastfeeding, you breastfeed like crazy. And that's a lot of what you're doing is sitting down on the couch. So I had a lot of time to read. And at that point in time, the labeling of GMO's proposition had made the ballot in California. And that was kind of the cross-section of my old world when I used to work in politics and politics and PR and all that stuff and fundraising with my new world of health and being in the public sphere and having people ask me questions and, and wanting to know a lot about, you know, public health issues through me and my experiences. And so what I did was I just dove into the issue as much as I could. And I just really had to rip it apart to understand it because people were going to start asking me about this like crazy. And I wanted to be really knowledgeable. And the one thing that bothered me the most about the issue was the lack of transparency in our food system. And I really, really felt like it was a feminist issue. And even though you think of lack of transparency in food and feminism 
doesn't necessarily correlate maybe in some people's minds. But in my mind, I was saying, wait a minute, I've been told by these quote unquote people that things are safe, that I should not be looking, you know what I'm saying? That just listen to us. You know, it's almost like you had these paternalistic corporations, organizations, blah, 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 patting you on the head and saying, oh, don't worry your pretty little head about this. Just listen to us. We know what we're doing, you know? And I really felt like that was patronizing. And it just, it just really, really fired me up as a woman. And as a parent as well, because my job is to keep my children healthy. My job is to look after them. And so now all of a sudden, I really wanted to know what was in the food supply. I really wanted to know, you know, what it was that they were hiding. And one of the things that I found that really shocked me, but didn't shock me, was the fact that, you know, all of these laws and regulations are created not to keep us safe but to protect these corporations from liability. And that's really at the end of the day what it's about. It's not about us, it's about them. And so when I discovered that, that was when I was like, oh, no, 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 this is not happening. And I looked around, you know, at the sphere, you know, because I'm a quote unquote mom blogger and I've been a leader in that space for a really long time. Nobody was talking about this issue. Nobody even knew it was a thing. So what I did was, you know, I just got really upset and I just said, all right, that's it. This is my thing. I'm just going to organize women. I contacted um, the labeling initiative in California. It was Prop 37. I understood from having worked in politics for years that this was one of the first people-led movement in a really long time. Most of the time when we have these special elections, it's all special interests versus special interests. And that's how they get it on the ballot. But this was the first one I'd ever seen that really came from the people. So I knew that they were underfunded. They didn't have enough staff. They didn't have all the things that they need. And they probably didn't know what they were doing, especially when it came to social media. So I contacted them and I said, hi, you don't know who I am, but please look me up. And then I bragged for a little bit, but I had to. (laughs) And, And then, you know, within 10 minutes, I got an email and I was on the phone with them within an hour and we talked about how we were going to strategically include the mom blogging community in their messaging and how I was going to recruit and help get this message out. And not only was I going to do this for free, but I wanted to also give them my money because I really believed in what they were doing. That was my entrance into this world. And I wasn't green before that. You know what I mean? I really didn't care about any of this stuff. And it's not that, you know, I was just, you know, someone who was overwhelmed. And I also previously, my background, when I worked in politics, I worked for the Republicans. So, you know, it's, it's such a like, it turns it on its face where all of a sudden I start focusing on these environmental issues. And then remembering years and years and years ago, which kills me, but it also helps me understand that I had these environmental list in my office, you know, trying to convince me of issues that had to do with hormonal impact on humans that had to do with the environment. And I just kind of rolled my eyes and yada, 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 jotted some things down. And that was it. And then understanding I'm on the other side of that table, just as passionate about what they were telling me back then. And here I am today. The most important thing to remember is that people are dynamic. They can change. But the thing is, is that they are doing it in their own time, in their own way, and you have to give them that space and that ability to do that. But if I can change, and I was the person that was like an anti-environmentalist, anybody can change and anybody can see how important these issues are to their family and their life. For sure. That's really motivating. So your first steps into sustainability was really learning about health and all of these things 
in policy. Yes, that was my entrance into it. And so when I walked into the green living sphere, I walked in with a, with with an army of women, you know, and so it was very different than someone just starting, you know, and starting on social media. I took my the people that were following me at that moment, it was like 50-50. 50% of them were like, oh my gosh, Leah, I had no idea. And this is something that they were really interested in and became interested in. And then 50% of them said, oh boy, she's become a environmentalist, you know, wacko. And then they, they took off. And I understood that was going to happen. And I, and I took that chance, but you know, it was the right thing to do. Yeah. How do you think we can better communicate to these people who are in wellness, but not yet in green living? Because to me, they're so tied together. Yeah, you know, it's simple. At the end of the day, it really, really, really is simple. It's not difficult. People listen to other people that they respect. And if you understand how you live your life and the people that you listen to, it makes perfect sense. Getting messages across to people of different like cultural or political or, you know, what have you, it's all about finding the people in their world that they respect convincing those people and helping bring those people along because we can't do everything, but we can do something. And the environmental movement is really not a one person movement. It's got to be everybody. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to take everybody in their own way to kind of see and make these changes. And so if you focus on respect, that's where it comes from. And in my real life, you know, in my IRL life, you know, when I, you know, have three children and we go to grade school, you know, and I have all these things, I, I don't sit there and broadcast, hey, I'm the green mom that's, you know, looking at those uh, heat and go packages and the lunch and stuff like that. And I'm giving you my eyeball. Like I never, ever, ever talk about, you know, those kind of things unless I'm asked. Mm -hmm. and, and really the reason is, is because I need to earn their respect and they need to ask me before they're going to listen to me. So I give them that opportunity. But when they're ready, that's when they're ready. When people ask you for things, that's when they're ready to hear you. That's when they're ready to understand. You kind of have to wait for that moment. So if it's a personal thing and you want to know how to get through to people, you just be yourself. You be a, you know, a fun person. You act like yourself you be friends with them and there will come a time when they ask you questions about your lifestyle. You just live it and then you allow them to ask. For sure. I feel like a lot of people in sustainability differ in their approaches to sustainability. What are your thoughts on what we need to bring people together in spite of people's differences? You know, it's really interesting. I heard, uh, I think she was a sociologist that talked about this at um, Expo West. And, you know, she was talking about climate change. What she was saying was really, really, really insightful because they've done a lot of studies on climate change denial and those types of things. And so really what they said at the end of the day, you know, you hear people arguing about the science constantly. And it's like, you know, the science is a facade. This is not a thing. You know what I'm saying? And when I say that is they're not really arguing with you about the science. So you can argue the science until you're blue in the face. This is not what it's about. At the core of this is what is it about is people don't want their rights taken away from them. They don't want their things taken away from them. And that's true of all people. So it's like communication 101. I was at, I have a master's degree from the University of Southern California. We, we studied a lot of this. So it, it makes perfect sense. People get more angry when you take something away from them that they have than if you would never have given it to them to begin with. Climate change conversations have nothing to do with what they're saying. The core of it is, I don't want you to take my such and such away. And so what they were saying was, number one, what you need to do is you need to focus on what you agree on. And everybody agrees that they want their family to be healthy. 
everybody agrees that they, they want people to be happy. So yeah, first of all, you have to walk into it finding those things that we agree on. And then second, focus on the solutions, not the issue of climate change. In fact, don't even use the word climate change because it causes people to go into this hysteria, you know, like this, like I'm not going to do it. And they just get solid, you know, with their, with their stubbornness. Don't go there. Just walk into solutions. You know what I'm saying? We're in a world of people actually moving. But when we use these words that make people, you know, like climate change, you use the word Democrat versus Republican, all of a sudden people get really weird. And so that was really what she was saying was that we needed to change the conversation, you know, that we're having to convince people because what we're doing right now just politicizes it. And that's the opposite of what we need to have happen. Yeah. So really leading with commonalities and that's how we can bring people together is exactly. And that's the secret to really everything. Like I'm the community leader, you know, we have a community and then, you know, some people are more conservative and some people are more liberal. We all come together with this like eco wellness health. But I also have to be cognizant that, you know, even though I'm a little more liberal today, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, you know, an environmentalist and all these things are important to me. I'm, I'm still speaking to this other audience. So I still need to remember that and, and choose my words carefully, but also have compassion you know, for them in some way to be able to understand how they feel. Because when you understand at the the crux of things, how people feel, then you can understand how to speak to them. But until you understand, it's it's hard to do that and come to a, you know, come to a solution. Mm -hmm. So ShiftCon 2018 happened recently. It's a conference for eco wellness influencers. In your opinion, what does a person need to be considered an influencer? Well, I mean, technically, the definition of an influencer is someone who is influencing other people. So, I mean, in a very, very broad sense, if you are influencing people in business or commerce, you are an influencer. Now, when we really think about this, these things and, you know, who's going to come to ShiftCon, my conference, these are people who have a social media presence, have an online presence, want to grow that presence and want to um, organize under the eco wellness sphere, right? And, and kind of get to know people and be supported like that. So I would say, you know, to become an influencer, you know, you know, get on social media, you know, you know, create a blog, create, you know, different platforms and stuff like that, you know, work, work to find your voice. But at the end of the day, really what an influencer is and how I define an influencer, someone who's influencing, you know, business decisions and influencing um, commercial decisions. So if you have the ability to get, you know, influence someone to choose, you know, product A over product B, that makes you an influencer. That's really what the definition is. Yeah. So essentially anybody could become an influencer. I feel like everyone's influencing at least at the very least their friends and their family and their primary circles. Yeah. And it really brings things back to word of mouth, right? So it's like before we had television and radio, we had word of mouth, right? And people would commune together in groups and you're, you would influence them one-on-one. Now, social media has kind of created that world in a sense where you have, you know, people who rise to the top who influence a lot of people, but it does bring back that idea of we're sitting around in a living room, just chatting with each other and talking about, you know, why I like this and not that, or what my hopes and dreams are, or what I want, or, you know, I'm seeing something that upsets me and I'm picking it apart as to why, but pulling those big nuggets, those things that are, you know, the issues behind it and things that we need to change. The social, the the influencers of the world are the ones that are managing the conversations that are happening online. 
So they're sparking these conversations and they're managing these conversations. And when I say that, I just mean they're throwing those questions out there. People are thinking about it. They're, you know, they're throwing those conversations out there. They're sparking it. People are going, you know what? I want to talk about this. And they get involved in it. And then what happens is the, the, the mainstream media comes around looks and sees what's trending on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. And then they cover those things that are already being talked about. So, you know, back in the day when it used to be that, you know, if you wanted coverage about your, you know, A, B or C, D product or what have you theme, you had to just get into traditional media. You had to get into magazines and TV and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that was what you tried to do. Today, it's totally flipped on its face. It's all about social media first, and then these traditional media companies follow what's already happening. In a sense, it makes sense because we're telling them what's important to us. It's not mm -hmm. like they're telling us anymore. And, and in some ways, that's great. And in other ways, that has its limitations on other things that we'd like to have discussed. But, you know, the world is different based on that. But it really goes back to word of mouth again. For sure. What are some limitations of having social media come first and having people express their opinions first? The only limitation I would see about that is, you know, when you have people uber focused on things that just don't matter, you know, that are entertainment based, that kind of crowd out the space for us to have other serious conversations. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like whatever the such and such, like the Gwyneth Paltrow's of the world, you know what I mean? Which I love having her around and I love that she's green, but she blinks and everybody covers it. And then what we miss out on is the theme and other things that could be happening in the world or other things that could be more important. And because People are choosing entertainment over education in the United States about 85% of the time. And what social media does do, and, and this is the limited part of it, is it kind of fosters that where everything becomes entertainment, you know, and then we lose out on that 15% of education. So what the challenge is for people who work in social media and really want to get a message out there is they have to work in the world of quote unquote entertainment. And what that means is it's got to be interesting. It's got to be visual. It's got to be relatable. It's got to be funny. It's got to have all these things in it that people are entertained by for them to consume it in big amounts, you know, for them to consume it in a grand amount. And if you have something that's dry, you know, like, oh my God, I don't know. Like we're talking about the other day and I was just like, I wish I could make um, dirt sexy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because you know, we have this degraded soil that's all over the world and it's been degraded to such a degree that we're really, that, you know, scientists are really concerned about the amount of water that we're going to need once we no longer have life in the soil, you know? And so this is a big problem. So it's like, how do you make soil sexy? And, you know, I think about like, well, shoot, let's just get someone like Gwyneth Paltrow to cover herself in mud and walk <laughs> around naked, you know what I'm saying? Like to talk about soil because in the world of entertainment, you really need to think outside of the box like that because you need to get people's attention. But again, it has created such a culture change and a culture shift that I feel like we're, we're still kind of figuring it out right now. So I really feel like people are going to look back in the history books and they're going to see what we're doing right now. And this is going to be a time that they talk about, like kind of like the Reformation. You know what I'm saying? Like every time we've had a big, you know, technology creation, like for instance, the printing press led to the Reformation, which led to the Renaissance. And that was a technology that came along that just shook 
the world to its core and changed everything about the way we communicate and changed who had power. Well, the creation of social media has done something very similar where creation of social media is a technology. It's a communication technology, just like the printing press was. And it's shaking the world to its core. And it's bringing down these power systems that were before in control of everything and now saying, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. And the world is just figuring it out right now. So that's why I think we're going to be in the history books as a time right now. So, you know, I, I really think it's an amazing time to be alive because there's a lot of good that can be done, but it's also a very stressful time for a lot of people. Cause you know, whenever you have a culture change, there's lots of chaos and anger and there's, you know, confrontation and stuff like that. But I think, again, I think we're, we're living in one of those times for sure. Well, with you essentially being an influencer of influencers and with you having such a massive reach, what has this made possible for you in terms of motivating bigger change in maybe bigger corporations? Oh, yeah. So I do actually a lot of consulting with really big corporations and they essentially just sit me down and say, what do you want? That's amazing. (laughs) But it is amazing. And to be in the space and be respected the way I am, and it's like they really look at me as Leah's the blowhorn of what other women think, but they don't necessarily say it. And so behind the scenes, a lot of these big companies will come to me because they know I'll sit down with them and I'll have a conversation with them. So like, I'm not going to throw a dirt ball at you. You know, I really want you to get better because at the end of the day, you know how I said we need everybody. It's like an all hands on deck moment for us to save our planet, for us to save health of human kind for us to save, you know, our future children. We need everybody involved. So I really love doing this behind the scenes. So I'm able to work with these huge companies and they ask me questions like, what do you see or what do you think we need to make as a change in the next five, 10 years? And I go through chemicals, you know, like packaging chemicals that I think are problematic, actually, that I know are problematic. And, you know, get them on board with, hey, here's the science and here's what's happening, but here's also why you should do it for an ethical reason. And here's how you will be rewarded if you do it. And, you know, the reward part is is a part that they're really listening to. But, you know, one of the things that it all boils around to is these product purchases are made by women. And and what do women really, really want at the end of the day? People think they know, but they really don't know. And what it really is, what it boils down to is women want to be heard. We want to be listened to. So you want your consumer to feel like that. And how do you do that? You don't do it by touting how awesome you are. You do it by saying, I listen to you. And this is the change that we made because of what you said, because of what's important to you. Now, your marketing goes into that world, and that's gold right there. And, you know, once they understand these messages, and then they understand what they have to do, that's, that's really the effect I can make. So I'm doing, I'm doing that a lot. I do, I've done that a lot in the past three years. And it's been something like, it's an NDA. I can't talk about it. I can't tell yeah. you specifics. But I will say that there's some dynamic companies, and then there's some companies that just need to die because they're dinosaurs and they're not going to do a damn thing, you know. <laughs> But there's a difference. Some big food companies are are dynamic and they're making changes, but those big, huge companies have to, like they move at a, a, at a dinosaur pace, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? But they, they have plans ahead and there's things they're doing. And so there's a lot of that going on in the space, um, but you won't see it for like two, three, four, five years, you know, because it does take that long to implement those types of changes across, you know, an entire company. That is really exciting for me as a person, as a communication consultant, as an influencer. And it's not done as much in the public sphere, you know, but it's behind the scenes. And because of my influence and because of the work I've done, that's where I get to do now. It makes me happy. That's amazing. 
You recently published a book called Green Enough with so many books on wellness and sustainability. What do you think makes Green Enough different? It's what I was talking to you about before, you know, where people, people grab things that are entertainment first and education second. So what I've done with Green Enough is I've created a book that's entertaining, funny, and you read it and you're just like, did she just really say that? Oh my God, she did just really say that. And what it's like is, you know, what I didn't want to do is I don't want to talk down to people because that sucks. And that's not interesting. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's like a textbook, you know, and how many textbooks of green have we come across? Like, there's a bajillion of them. But, you know, how many books are like, you know, reading your, it's like having your girlfriend sit in your home, pour you a glass of wine and just shoot the shit with you and tell you like it is, you know, and that's what Green Enough is about. So, you know, it's me using quote unquote colloquial language. And there's, there's a whole set of, you know, communication theory behind that. And that means I'm democratizing information because I'm making it less intimidating. And that's what it's about. So you do that by bringing in humor. You do that by bringing in visualization techniques that people can identify with. Like, for instance, you know, when I talk about bisphenols, BPA, BPS, BPAF, all of those, really bad for you, but really bad for women in general. You know, it's linked to, you know, behavioral issues in children. It's linked to obesity, it's infertility and all this stuff. But it's just a bunch of letters. It's like, what the hell is that? And people have heard of BPA, but they haven't heard of BPS. So what I do, and there's a lot of examples in the book, is I talk about BPA as the bitchy bisphenols. And they <laughs> are the mean girls of the chemical world because they want to toss your daughter down the stairs and they want to be mean to her. And this chemical is going to be really mean to her in the years of her teenage world when she's, you know, doing all those hormonal changes, right? And so to personalize a class of chemicals and turn it into something that you understand in your real life, because everyone, every woman I know has had a mean girl surround them and make them feel awful about themselves. And, and I'm personalizing these class of chemicals and bringing it down to a level of something that you understand. And so it's less intimidating and it really democratizes the information and it's entertaining, right? You laugh. Sure. It's like I'm talking about BPA <laughs> and I'm talking about the bitchy, the bitchy bisphenol sisters. And so you know that there's sisters, not just one. There's several. So I, yay for BPA free stuff, but it could be BPS, which she's just as bitchy. You know, she's the one yeah. right there. And so you understand that it's a class, it's a group, it's a family, and then you're more aware of it and you're going to remember it because there's visuals in there. And so that's how the book is written. It's written just, you know, me talking. They're also, they allowed me to swear like a sailor. People that know me in real life, there's two things that are true about me. Number one, I have a big heart and, you know, it gets me in trouble all the time. And number two, I swear like a sailor and that's just who I am. So Rodell allowed me to be myself in this book, and that is what people are reacting to, and that is why they like the book so much, because it's democratizing, it's available, it's easy, and it's something that makes them laugh. Yeah, it sounds human, and it's relatable. Yeah, yeah and this doesn't take away from the fact that you did a lot of research for this book. What's something you learned that even shocked you? Well, the one thing that got my goat the most was the idea of indirect additives. Indirect additives are things that get into your food that are never labeled, you never know that they're there, and they're completely secret, and it's totally legal. Now, what the hell is an indirect additive? It's not technically in your food when you buy it. It has to do with the packaging and the bakeware and the cookware and the chemicals that are added to how you cook and package things. And those chemicals get into your food, and those chemicals are really, really worrisome. 
So, you know, it's that idea that, you know, you're using a Teflon pan to cook something in, but the, the chemical that they've coated that Teflon pan in is so toxic that there's hundreds of millions of dollars that have been sued and won over this chemical polluting waters. You know what I'm saying? This chemical can kill your bird if it gets too hot and your bird breathes it in. They will just keel over and die. These chemicals are getting into your food because when you're using this nonstick pan, right, to bake with or cook with or what have you, if there's any, if it gets too hot or if it's ever been flaked, if it's wearing down, it's getting into your food. These are all called indirect additives. They also have to do with packaging. So like, for instance, you know, you buy a can of soda, right? So I, I, I got a bone to pick with this company. It's called Zevia. They have an organic soda company and they put this organic soda in a can. This can is lined with bisphenols. And to me, it's like, what's the point? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what is the point of having a cane sugar organic soda when you're just going to put it in an environment that just delivers the really bad stuff to you? You can't sit there and say, I'm better. If you're going to have organic soda, get it in a, in a glass bottle because when you have these cans, they coat these cans with bisphenols. Remember the bitchy BPA sisters? That's what they're coating the cans with. It's either BPA, BPS, BPAF, and then there's also PVC. <laughs> you know I mean, there's another formulation. And if this soda has like citric acid in it or if it ever gets warm, and when I mean by warm, I mean room temperature, then that's a delivery system for these indirect additives to get into your food. Now, do they have to tell you that they're there? No, they don't have to tell you that they're there. That's what they are protected as companies to not have to reveal what's in their packaging, what's in the lining, what's in all of these things. They don't have to tell you. So those are one of the things that really surprised me. I did, you know, to create this book, it was hundreds of hours of interviews back and forth with lots of scientists and professionals and, you know, uh, a lot of the things that I learned from the professionals were just mind boggling. Another indirect additive that we get into our food all the time is called phthalates. And phthalates is really problematic to boys. Now, phthalates is what I call my Save the Swimmers campaign. And what the heck is that about? Well, if you look at the research, and this was something that just came out, I believe, last year, they looked at sperm. Okay, and we're going to talk about sperm for a second. And I know I don't have any, but I got three young boys. So I really care about sperm because I want grandkids one day. And so that's why I care about sperm. I care about their sperm, even though that's weird. I still care about it because I want grandkids. So, you know, the, 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 the sperm in the United States, up to 90% of men today have degraded sperm. 50% they've seen from like the 1970s, they've tracked sperm and they've been able to do this really easily because, you know, there are something called sperm banks and people give deposits all the time, you know, everyday people. They've looked and analyzed the sperm from the 1970s to today. They found 50% of it has degraded and 90% of men in first world countries have some issues with degraded sperm. And so this isn't a little thing. This is a big thing. And we're not talking about it, right? So it's really interesting to see. Now, one class of chemical that's really problematic when it comes to sperm is phthalates. And phthalates you'll find in plastic. So these are all the plasticizers that they put in the plastic, right? So when plastic breaks down, when it's heated or, you know, it's nicked, or you get something acidic by it or warm or, you know what I mean, or something with a lot of fat content, these things leach out of the plastic and get into your food. Now, phthalates, if you're a man, you want to avoid this, all right? So you want to avoid eating your food in plastic, so, and you want to avoid water bottles. 
there's a study that just came out a little while ago where they found microplastic in 93% of the water bottle companies out there, including a bunch of the ones that they found internationally. So if you're a man specifically, I would avoid phthalates because it's all about your sperm. You want to be virile, then you just, you know, avoid it. Another place where you're going to find phthalates is fragrance. So when you buy a bottle of shampoo or cologne, you know, the Axe spray is probably like uber problematic. But even if you buy a, a bottle of shampoo, you take that bottle, you flip it over, you look in the ingredients. Do you see the word fragrance or parfum or perfume? If you see that word, that is a word that tells you they're hiding something because they legally have the ability to hide hundreds of chemicals in that word. So, and a lot of times those chemicals also contain phthalates. And phthalates, what it does in, in that, you know, whatever that formulation is, is it keeps the scent lasting longer. They don't want the scent to go away. They want the scent to be strong and they want the scent to stay strong. So they add phthalates to it. So that's one of those class of chemicals that it worries. It's very worrisome to me. And that's what, you know, that's why I have my Save the Swimmers campaign because it starts when you're, you know, you're a young child and it really starts in utero. So it really starts with women who are pregnant to stay away from phthalates because there's all of these bad things that it's tied to and you really just don't want that much in your body. Well, we really have an urgency to become conscious consumers and we really have to check out your book, Green Enough. Where can we follow your work online and where can we buy your book? So the book is available, of course, on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Any big box store will, will keep the book. The whole title is Green Enough, Eat Better, Live Cleaner, Be Happier, All Without Driving Your Family Crazy. And then you can also find me and my community at momovation.com. That's spelled M-A-M-A-V-A-T-I-O-N.com. Sign up for my newsletter. You'll hear more from me than you ever wanted to, but it's all supportive, encouraging. We also have a female group on Facebook. We have a private Facebook group, but if you go to momovation.com, you can pretty much find everything. Before we go into Leah's final five tips for you, I wanted to let you know that you can find every interview's show notes with resources and links on greendreamer.com. And if you want to get each week's highlights and juiciest takeaways sent directly to you for free, you can also sign up on greendreamer.com. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you and welcome. So at the end of every interview episode, I usually ask my guests five closing questions so that you can walk away with some bite-sized tips. And then I also end up with two of my personal takeaways if you're interested in hearing what I got out of these conversations. So there, let's power through. What's a social media account or a publication you follow that really uplifts you? I love Above the Fold. Um, that's with, uh, environmental health, uh, news every morning at about like five in the morning. And this is five in the morning Pacific standard time. So it's like at the butt crack. Um, I get an email and they've crowdsourced every single climate change, green wellness story that's in, you know, in the media and they brought it and delivered it to you in the morning. So that really helps me stay on top of all these issues. Um, and it really empowers me to understand how these issues are connected the other thing I also do, which is funny, is I follow the opposition and I follow what they're doing and what they're saying. And so I get their newsletters and I read through them because it's really good for me to know what are they saying about what we do? You know what I'm saying? Because that's important as well. Yeah. Uh, what do you tell yourself to stay inspired and motivated? Uh, women who behave rarely make history. That's my favorite. When I first heard that, women who behave rarely make history, I thought about it. 
And I thought about all the women in, in the, in the history books. And I said, you're absolutely right. That's one thing that they had in common. They didn't do what they were told and neither will I. And that really solidifies in my soul that my intuition and my navigation is based on what I think is right, not based on what people tell me what to do. What is one action we can try out this week for our planet's health? I would say, you know what? Dull down the plastic. So I think if you could, you know, don't buy straws, try to get your fruits and vegetables with less cellophane and all that stuff, you know, all of those things that you can do to avoid more plastic. I really want to start supporting brands that are thinking about packaging and they're thinking about plastic and how to avoid it, not only for our planet, but for ourselves. Yeah. On that note, what makes you most hopeful for our planet right now? You know, what always makes me hopeful are people. Because at the end of the day, we are all amazing. And sometimes we fight and we disagree and we don't like each other or we do this or we do that. And we, you know, all of that stuff happens. But at the end of the day, when shit hits the fan, we're down for each other. That's what gives me hope is as long as we have that, I think we're going to be okay. For sure. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? Oh, as green dreamers. It's a reminder that if you want people to change, you need to respect their time and their process. So let's be a little more cautious with our words when we're around people that are not as green as us. And let's be a little more compassionate with other people. We're asking them to be compassionate. Let's give them the same. So back to what we learned as kids. Let's just be nicer to each other because, you know, that can only bring more unity and harmony to the sustainability movement. And that can then make this movement more powerful. And okay, I have a bajillion takeaways from this conversation, but here are two that you can hold on to. Number one, to inspire change effectively, you have to earn people's respect first. Then they'll listen to you. Number two, social media has democratized power. Think on that and make the most of this opportunity by speaking up for what you stand for. If you enjoyed this episode, you are more than welcome to speak up about this show on social media. I would not mind that at all. And for real, it would actually help the podcast out so much because it did just launch. So if you get a chance to give Green Dreamer Podcast a shout out, I would be so grateful. And as always, if you have any feedback to help me improve, please email me at hello at greendreamer.com or get in touch with me on Instagram at Kamea Shane, K-A-M-E-A-C-H-A-Y-N-E. And finally, remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and Green Dreamer, I will catch you later.